This is That's So Retrograde. That's crazy. I'm Elizabeth Cott. Hello, Elizabeth Cott. I'm Stephanie Sambari, your good friend. Your good friend. I am my own good friend. <laughs> and I'm your good yeah, friend. Yeah, yeah, you are. And all of our listeners are good friends. Are our good friends. And that's why we're so excited to just jump into this interview with a new good friend, um, Ruthie Lindsay. Welcome to the show. <gasps> Thank you. I'm, gonna... I'm so excited to be here. <laughs> Yay. Okay, so going to go a little like personal backstory as to yeah. how you're sitting here and why you're here. Yeah. We met in Mexico. Dream life. Dream like, life. Every like, great story starts dear God. Through, <laughs> through, I think, one of the um, most key uh, gold level people curators that we know, Sophia Bush. Truth. She, it's like It's like if... <laughs> If I meet someone, rule of thumb, if I meet someone through Sophia who she says, this person's amazing, I <laughs> am immediately in love with them within the first two sentences. <laughs> That's so real. We bonded over, you and I bonded over our love and adoration for the housewives, yes, first and did. foremost. And Instagram dance videos. Exactly. Don't forget. Yannis uh, so Marshall important. Like for life. Tim Milligram. Do you guys know who that no. is? No. Oh, he's uh, like a Millennium Dance person. Okay. Like Millennium yes. Complex? Yeah, yeah, Got yeah. It. yeah. Dreams. Okay, sorry. I'm not like up with the lingo. I'm like, you know, like the place with the red wall. Yeah. <laughs> Millennium Complex in yeah. Studio City. Yeah. Where we are right now. Right. Aptly. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, as the trip went on, I just got to hear your story, peeled back those layers of the yes. onion, and just felt just enamored and inspired oh. by what you've been through and what you're doing now and just had to invite you on the show. Thank you. So here we are. Oh, and that's how treat. that's how it happened. And yes. I recognize you from Jed Dediah Jenkins Instagram videos. <laughs> <laughs> we need to be locked up. Yeah. Dear God. We are absurd. <laughs> no, Idiots. it's great. It's so <laughs> fun. It's so much fun. <laughs> it's really fun. I want to be in the car. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Let's guess. do it. Um, with us. So tell us what you do. Yeah. So um, I'm a speaker um, based out of Nashville. And I also get to do like marketing things for brands. I do that less and less, but it's still so fun. Basically for Instagram, um, <laughs> which I mean, dear God, what in the world? But I'm so thankful for it. And it's opened my world. I mean, I wouldn't know Jed or Sophia. Like we became friends from Instagram, which is hilarious. It's like as awful as it can be can also be like the best ever. Um, I have that same divide with the internet where I'm like, on one hand, it's totally divorcing us from our humanity. On the other hand, it's connecting us on every level. It's really crazy. Well, and my thing with that is as long as it just becomes the vehicle to actual real in-person connection, like that is, this is just a window into Mm -hmm. my friends, but then the real relationship happens in person, totally. right? But so often people lose that and they just sit on their phones in their rooms and don't talk to real humans face to face. Or like I was hanging out with my friend last night and then she, I realized that I've lived in my house for a year and she's just coming for the first time. Yeah. But she's like, but because we're friends on Instagram, I feel like I see you all the time. And right. I'm like, I never Dark. fucking see you. <laughs> right. Like we haven't hung out Crazy. in a year, like other than just being out and right. seeing each other. Right. Oh it's wild. God, that's so real. Yeah. Well, let's that's get so into that a bit because okay. – you do have a beautiful Instagram. You you have your visual stylist, so that, that great definitely aesthetic. is Thanks, great guys. aesthetic, as the kids say. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> your Instagram is aesthetic. Yeah. Oh yeah, that's what they say. Yeah. <laughs> I read a book about uh, teenage girls and social media Stop. and the impact it's having. It's wild by Nancy Jo Sales, and Whoa. that's one of the terms apparently that the kids use. If like something's like dialed in, it's 
the it's descriptive word aesthetic, which oh, is so funny. I love that. that. Is, I'm <laughs> stealing it. Yeah, steal it, girl. Yes. So, you're like so aesthetic right now. You're so, so aesthetic. <laughs> oh my god. Yes, that's that. gonna be our new word. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Thank you, Let's Nancy. See how many Joe times Sales. we can use it in this okay. podcast today? Drink kombucha every time we use it. Great. Um, Does anyone have a kombucha? No, no. but I do have a Schweppes black cherry. What's yeah. up, Schweppes? Same. Um, <laughs> Elizabeth. It's like the most grandpa sponsorship. I know. (laughs) Well, me and my grandpa's around drinking Schweppes and smoking Cubans. Why not, though? Why not? Yeah, literally, my grandpa's a Lincoln. You do have this beautiful Instagram with this like very magical life. You get to travel all these places, Mm. and kind of your pivot into how you talk about your experience is that the backstory isn't there it's not forward facing right and you've had like quite a ride yeah it has been quite the ride (laughs) beginning with you were in a car accident so I grew up like in this kind of fairy tale world and I I realize now how lucky I am like I never went a day without knowing I was so loved so adored I grew up on this little farm and we didn't have much but like my brothers loved me so well. My parents were amazing. And I kind of thought everyone else was like living the good life like I was. Like I was just so clueless about reality. And Mm. I would just look at people and be like, yeah, they're happy and life's good. And, you know, I had no ability to like have any sort of empathy whatsoever because I just didn't know hard things. Maybe perspective is a better word. Yeah. But I also didn't have empathy. Really? (laughs) No, not really. Like I was sweet, but I wasn't tender. It was more like I wanted to be sweet and kind so that people would like me, not because I actually genuinely cared about who they were as a human. Okay. Um, There was a lot of, I mean, I wasn't like all bad, but like it wasn't. Don't you feel like all teenage girls are cunts? Yes. It's also to have that. I mean, not for nothing. It's real. Yeah. You need need experience. And so like, of course, you're going to be surfacely nice until. Exactly. And. So basically until my senior year of high school, everything had just kind of fallen in my lap and I, I made friends really easily and things just came naturally. And, and then my senior year, um, I had planned like a big group of people to go into Baton Rouge, uh, to celebration station. (laughs) And I, um, we had stopped at this like gas station halfway there for everyone else to get alcohol. I didn't drink. I was like kind of a weird goody two shoes kid. And I ended up being the last car, and I pulled out on a major highway in front of an ambulance, and he ended up hitting me on my car door going, like, 65. Mm. And so, Damn. yeah, it was gnarly. Like, I broke ribs, and they punctured my lungs, and my lungs collapsed, and my spleen ruptured, and then I broke C1 <sighs> and C2, which are the top two vertebrae in your neck. Mm. And what we know now, if if it had not been an ambulance, I would not be here. Like, he knew how to stabilize my neck, get me breathing again. If someone had tried to even just pull me out of the car, I'd be paralyzed. And holy yeah. shit. And apparently, so C1 and C2 are the ones at your brainstem, right? So I had a 5% chance to live and a 1% chance to walk with my particular break. And so first off, it was just a miracle that I was alive and, you know, that he was the one. And it was my fault. So, like, if you're going to get hit by someone, make it an update, ambulance. let it be an ambulance. <laughs> wow. um, so it was crazy. That, like, really raises a lot of questions of yeah. just, like, things that are divine intervention even though it's like a terrible tragedy right isn't that weird no it's so true though like i we know i would not be here no doubt so i was on life support for a while and i mean back then i was super lucky because i had like youth and good health on my side Mm -hmm. you know so 
after I was stable enough, they ended up doing this neck surgery. I mean, they removed my spleen. They put in chest tubes for my lungs, all of that, sh- you know, stuff. But once I was stable, they took bone from my hip and to fuse it into my neck and wrapped it with wire because that's just what they did back then. And that was just commonplace. So I was in the hospital about a month and I left. It happened on my dad's birthday in my senior year of high school. I left there. Um... A month later, I was able to go back to school. I graduated high school on time. Like, it was kind of miraculous. I cheered at our last basketball game. Like, tallest cheerleader that ever existed. <laughs> that was real. And, like, I just kind of went back to life as normal. Like, if you looked at me, you wouldn't be able to tell all my scars are hidden by clothing or my hair. And at the time, I did not have any residual effects from my pain. So I kind of just went about life as normal. And, like, when, once I got to college... I would tell the story and it almost felt like it was in third person, like it had happened to someone else, but it was a good story, you Mm -hmm. know, but it didn't affect me yet. And I don't remember much from the hospital. It was way harder at the time on my family and friends than me. I was doped out of my mind and hooked up to, you know, I didn't know what was happening. So I went back to life as normal. Um, If I like dance too much, I get sore, but that's the gist. So ended up being offered a job in Nashville, moved there about a year in, met my first boyfriend, and my parents were so stoked he was a boy. They were completely convinced I like girls. I'm like, I wish. But I don't. I don't. But I was just like, I grew up with all brothers and was just not interested. So we were complete idiots, and we're, I was like really trying to be a Christian, and we literally got married 10 months after we met because we felt guilty about having sex. I was just going to say, because you didn't want to be a virgin anymore. No, I wasn't. I was just feeling guilty about it. So then with the ring on it, you don't have to feel that sweat. Right. All the shame. Weird. I've never experienced that. (laughs) Well, bless your soul. You were spared. Questionable. fucking insane. Anyway, so. Did you feel less guilty after the ring was on your finger? Yeah. You did. But I still had shame around it. Interesting. I definitely still, but less guilt. Right. Like, I was like, now, but then I just, oh, that's a whole other conversation. That's, woo. <laughs> Get but into it. <laughs> he was so precious and sweet, and we were just clueless. We were so young. Yeah. Did not have a goddamn clue what we were doing. We were so naive. I just assumed, like, everything has kind of worked out great so far, so that's just going to be our, you know, we bought a little house together, and he's a musician. We go out on tour and, like, just had all these hopes and dreams. Like, we're going to have biological children, and then we're going to adopt children from every color of every nation, and I just, I knew that that was my future. Mm-hmm. And even growing up as a kid, when people would ask me what I wanted to be, unapologetically, I'd be like, a mom, period. Like, that's what I want to be. And I felt zero, like, I never felt weird about that. Or, or like, like someone... feminist guilt. No. Yeah. Well, no. I also grew up in, like, Deep South. I right. knew nothing. But I just felt in my bones, like, that was why I was here. So, anyway, about a year into our marriage, one day, I was walking in front of this, like, Starbucks, and this shooting pain went up my head that was so searing. It felt like I'd been electrocuted or that maybe I was struck by lightning, but it went up my head. And I fell down. I blacked out. And then I woke up. I kept feeling like I was going to vomit. And I was left with this crazy migraine, and it scared me to death. And this exact pain started happening, like, more and more frequently. Mm. And so this started this long chain of events of going to see all these different doctors. I was terrified and definitely had PTSD around hospitals. 
And every time I'd go, they'd have me do this film and um, or like either an MRI or CAT scan. I always forget which one's which. But when the film would come back, there'd be this little black spot on it. And they would look at everything around it and be like, oh, that's just the magnet in the machine interacting with your fusion. Everything around it looks fine. Like they started me on all these different therapies and nothing was helping. It was actually just continually getting worse. And so because oh. I was not functional, they ended up starting me on drugs. And honestly, like. I just didn't want to hurt every second of every day. I took of everything. And so that began a very, I mean, it was just a downward spiraling season. This went on for almost five years. Mm. And they couldn't figure out, they would just be like, this is just residual effects. Like, you were mauled by an ambulance, you know, like, and nothing was helping. It just felt so hopeless. And I just started spending more and more and more and more time in my bed, like, essentially all of my time in my bed because I was just not functional. And then the medicine obviously was not helping my cause. It right, like Vicodin or whatever my, you were on. I was on all the – I was on a fentanyl patch, which they give, like, oh my dying cancer patients. The highest strength you can get. Oh. And morphine. You and, and Michael Jackson, baby. We were – I was a nightmare. And, <laughs> yeah. you know, like, I wasn't – I had no process or of understanding how to handle pain. Not that anyone really does. But I handled it horribly. Like – So often with pain, you think you need to handle it when it's chronic. You think you need to handle it like acute pain that's going to go away. So with acute pain, like if you break your ankle, you need to rest it and prop it up. Where with chronic pain that's not going away, you can't just keep resting because I never got up. Like I was like, well, when I feel better, then I'll start living again. But it just got worse and worse and worse. Wow. I became more and more and more of a nightmare. And I can't even imagine what it would have been like for a partner to right. see, you know, I was so young and like vivacious. And then all of a sudden I was like a shell of myself, not functional. I mean, sweet boy, like, dear, I, I just can't even imagine. So that got just harder and it, everything was a pre-existing injury. So like out of pocket because insurance wouldn't cover anything because of my neck and self-employed uh. and blah, blah, blah. It was a nightmare. So finally, after almost five years, um, his mom, my mother-in-law, who's this precious woman in Texas was like, I know you've seen a ton of doctors. I know they all say the same thing, but it can't hurt to see one more. I'll pay for it. And that was like, I'm like, bless her heart. She thinks she's going to be able to help me, but if she wants to pay for it, whatever. And so I went to this doctor, brought him all my films, and he's like, I can't tell you what's going on until I see what's underneath that black spot, you know, which in my head also I'm like, well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Why has no one asked that? <laughs> right. Dear God. Five years later. So basically – a $50 x-ray showed that one of the wires had broken. It was just an x-ray? $50 x-ray. It's all it took. Duh. Instead of a $1,300 MRI or CAT scan every time. Ugh. Out of pocket. Oh, my God. So a $50 x-ray showed that one of the wires had broken and pierced my brainstem. Good girl. And they were all like, I know it makes my hiney pucker. Like, <laughs> <laughs> It's basically like. You should be paralyzed. If we don't get it out, you will be paralyzed. Surgery itself, super, super high risk of paralysis. And so I was just like frozen with fear and felt like a ticking time bomb and scared out of my fucking mind. You know, it was just, I just shut down and started reading Harry Potter again. Because I was like, I can't deal. I need to hang out with Ron, Harry, and Hermione in my make-believe world because this world sucks. So then, it was so crazy. So two weeks later, my dad, who called papa um he was basically coming to see me he had gone to visit our amish friend so i grew up on a farm he like literally plowed our garden with the mule he's the cutest thing you've ever seen in your life Mm. and 
he told my mom and my godfather that he's going to come see me and tell me that he'd sell our farm so I could have the surgery because insurance wouldn't cover it. And the night before he was on his way to see me, he ended up falling down a flight of stairs, like just this freak accident and um, ended up passing a brain damage. Oh, my. And so it was just, I just got the chills. It was just like, it was this crazy loss, but not just for my family. Like, I wish I could paint this picture. I wish y'all could have known him. Because he was just, like, first off, his eyes, like, glowed. Like yours. You're sweet. (laughs) But he was just the most magnetic person. Like, every time he'd leave our presence when we were children, to me and my brothers, he'd say, I love you so much. Remember your manners and always look out for the little guy. And, like, that was his thing. Like, he wanted us to not only see the people that everyone else would miss, but, like, enter in and love them and serve them. And so when that happened, my godfather ended up setting up this medical fund in my dad's honor. And all of a sudden these checks started coming in and people would be like, your dad bought my prom dress. Your dad sent me on my senior trip. Your dad's paying my rent. Your dad sent me to school. No way. The craziest amount of money was raised because like, but you had no idea that he was doing. Well, I watched him be generous all the time. We had kids live with us my whole life. Like he was always so generous, but I didn't know about any of this. Like, unless I was in front of him, I would have never known any of the, like he didn't talk about that stuff, you know? And so this crazy amount of money was raised because my dad had just like loved people so well. And it was just this crazy season. I remember I would lay in my bed and I would just pinch myself until I literally was bleeding because I just kept being like, I'm going to wake up, you know, like this is not real. This cannot be real. Like at the time I was still like trying to be a Christian, but I, I remember just screaming at me like, like this feels so mean. Like, mm-hmm. how is this good? Like my dad would never treat me this way. Like it felt mean. And I have so many thoughts about that that are beautiful today. But at the time, I just didn't understand. And I was like, what is this hell? I want to fall asleep and never wake up again. Do you mean like in the Christian idea of yeah. like God, like a just God wouldn't yeah. make this Everything happen? Everything and all things, you know, that happen are for the good of the glory of blah, blah, blah. Right. I don't remember all the quotes, but all the <laughs> verses. But like, Since you quit. <laughs> yeah, it's just, it. yeah, I just, it felt mean. Like yeah. this doesn't feel like a loving God. This feels mean. And I don't feel that way anymore at all. But at the time, it just, it was so dark. And I wanted to just go away, you know? But I had to have the surgery because it was literally like, if I fall, am I going to be paralyzed? If someone bumps into me, am I going to be paralyzed? Like, I was a ticking time bomb. Every doctor that saw my films, which no one had done the surgery, so we couldn't, like, go off experience. But I... That's never happened to anyone else who had, like, a brain... uh, the the... Well, first off, usually people don't live if they break it back. Right. So fusions up there just don't usually happen. Right. They're like, oh, we'll just tie this with this wire and, like, hope for the best. I mean, back then, that's just what they did. Every All of those surgeries, they used wire. And it was just a freak thing. Right. You know? So basically, I mean, the good thing about having a freak medical thing is doctors are, like, chomping at the bit to work on you. And so I was pursued by all these doctors. <laughs> Truly. Like, they get off on that shit. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And sure. so I ended up choosing Mayo. And this, like, top neurologist, top orthopedic surgery surgeon did it together. And it was, like, a 10-hour surgery. And they removed the wire. And then they took bone from my other hip. And then they fused it with, like, I can't remember if it was six or eight titanium screws. Wow. And they were like, you know, we hope that this will help with your pain, but we're doing this because you won't be walking eventually if we don't. Like, hopefully pain relief will come too, mm-hmm. you know? And so I will skip the gist of how 
that was like one. Of, I thought I knew pain before that surgery, mm. and then I was like, I mean, it was just when you woke up. Yeah. Why? It was just. I mean, they had cut open my skull. You know, it right. was just. I don't remember the first time I had the surgery, and this was just pain like I'd never known before. You know. Mm. But I, I felt everything. Like I remember just waking up and like feeling my legs. You know, and being like, okay, I'm gonna walk. Yeah. But I ended up in that surgery getting, like, really severe nerve damage. And so after the pain from the surgery, like, settled down, I ended up having this just, like, gnarly burning sensation down my entire right side, head to toe. And the best way I know how to describe it is, like, one time my right foot was standing in fire ants. And do y'all know what red ants ants feel like? And I didn't know it. My brother, like, yelled at me to move. And then I ended up having just tons and tons of red ant bites all the way up my leg I just didn't know because that's what it feels like you know and so because I had this new but equally as awful pain I just went straight back to my bed living in my bed is that neuropathy it I think so yeah I think so yeah yeah it's like that screams the loudest for me that pain it's like it feels like you're on fire all the time yeah completely I hurt myself like I'll just be bleeding and I don't it doesn't register because it never registers as much as but you still have that yeah the burning neuropathy Mm -hmm. oh my god how do you treat that you don't so yeah I mean I tried a a ton of things I mean I literally went right back to my bed and was on even more pain medication at this point and like about another year and a half went by and finally I just hit a wall that was like no I mean I wanted to die. Like I had a complete full on nervous breakdown. I could tell my marriage was coming to an end. I caught C. diff in the hospital, which is Jesus doing Christ. this. Epi- I was like having an endometriosis surgery and I thought I was going to die. I wanted to die. I kept in the emergency room. I couldn't take care of myself. My husband was on tour in Australia. And like, finally I let my family know how bad it was. I was like, I can't function. And so they came and picked me up and it was like a shame. Like I'd never known. I was such a nightmare. I went almost 20 days without sleeping and I would just lay up and have panic attacks which also makes you crazy like literally crazy when you don't sleep and I was I mean they were going to send me away and that was like it was so bad it was so bad that basically like the point where they were going to like send me off to get help it scared me so much that the next day I started weaning myself off the drugs Mm because I was like you are not shipping me away. <laughs> like, that scared me so much. And that was, like, the first decision I'd made for myself in a really long time. And it was definitely based on fear. But it was the best decision I ever made. And so it was this crazy thing. It took me, like, four months. But I, in that time, like, I would say a few weeks in, like, I, I made these, like, lists. And one of them was literally, like, I wanted to be able to scratch things off. So it was, like, 8 o'clock, get out of bed, scratch it off. Put your feet on the floor and you're not allowed to get in the bed again until it's dark outside, no matter how horrible you feel. And then it was like, brush your teeth. I mean, I, I literally like had to relearn like how to live. How to do your because day. I, I was not functional for so many years. Mm. And then I, my other list, and I don't even know, I don't know if someone encouraged me to do this. I don't remember a whole lot, but I made a list of things that I'd love to do before I had pain. Mm. And, um... I know we were talking about this earlier, like at the time, I think so often we think once this thing is better, then I'll be happy. Like once I have this boyfriend, once I have this baby, once I have this job, once I have this house, once I lose this weight, then I'll be happy. Once this pain goes away, then I'll be happy. That was my 
MO for so long. And like, I finally had to realize and my brother was like, babe, you can lay in your bed and hurt all the time. Or you can like get up and like serve people and love people and hurt and live life and hurt. Like what's your better option? And for the longest time, I just had not done anything that I knew would make my pain worse. And I was so paralyzed by fear of like making it worse because it was so bad to me already that I did nothing. And also just like you had your spine like surgically altered twice. Like I feel like I wouldn't want to go outside either. It's like you're like if anyone comes near me, I'm going to fucking lose it. I'm going to break. Yeah. Like that's unimaginable. I lived out of the posture of fear. Yeah. For sure. And it basically like with that list, I think it it was so meaningful to me because I remember writing down like you like reminding myself like Ruthie, you love sunsets. Ruthie, you love picking flowers. Like, you love people. (laughs) Like, the most basic shit. And at the time, I didn't give a fuck about any of those things. I felt numb, dead, and black inside. Like, Mm. I felt just a void of all. Well, and that's the other thing. Like, when we have pain, we want to numb it. But it also numbs all the good stuff. right? Right? And so all of a sudden, as I was weaning myself off of these drugs, like... I would make myself do one of those things on the list of things that I knew that I loved before pain. And I would like go sit at a sunset and I'm like, I know. And I would like speak what I saw, even though I felt nothing. I'm like, this is, I love the orange colors. This is so beautiful. I love watching this, the moon rise. Like, and I would say the things out loud that I was seeing, even though nothing, I felt nothing. And I kept making myself do this. It was like this practice. And there was something in me that like trusted that the emotions would eventually, or maybe I was just hoping that that emotional, the emotions would eventually come. And like, that was what was so amazing. I would say like maybe a month into weaning myself off these drugs, I had this image of myself getting glasses for the first time in Mm -hmm. second grade and walking out of the doctor's office and being like, like, look at that trace. And all of a sudden off of these drugs, I started feeling awe again. Ugh. I started feeling again and obviously I was feeling the pain <laughs> and weaning off drugs is gnarly, but I also heard this quote at the time, um, the deeper sorrow carves into your being, the more joy you can contain. Mm. And that became my goal. I'm like, that is going to be my story. Mm. I'm going to get to experience joy on the deepest, most beautiful level because of this pain. And I, and I also, I mean, you know, retrospect is such a huge thing. Like, I realize now how much of it is a decision and a choice. You know, like, what I know is I lived in this lane with pain for so long that it defined me. I was completely consumed with it. I led with that. So that's how everyone else saw me. Like, when people would see me, they'd be like, How are you feeling? Are you okay? Because I taught them that about me, that mm. I'm just pain all the time. And then, this gross way, I found so much comfort in that sympathy because it also justified living in my bed and being a horrible partner and not working and not adding anything to society. No one expected anything of me. And all of a sudden I was like, I want like this pain is a piece of me, but it's not who I am. It is not all of me. It's just a piece of me. And I want like when people leave my presence, I want them to feel like loved and I want them to feel like they matter because they do and seen and like cared for and not sorry for me you know because there's no reason to be and 
And it was just this incredible, like, as I started putting that in the world, what came was insane. Like, yeah, I wanted to ask yeah. you, like, when was that moment where, like, all of that work and yeah. really pushing yourself yeah. to not give in to the pain, like, yeah. and to start feeling, and when did that, when was that, do you remember that first time that it kind of, like, <clears throat> the shift was palatable? Well, I remember, so, basically, it, it took me those four months, and then um, my husband ended up leaving really shortly after that, and so... Thank God I'd already weaned off all these drugs and I'd been practicing these things that I was just talking about. But all of a sudden, like everything in me wanted to like with pain, I want to shut down, check out, isolate, like literally just live in my cocoon with Harry Potter. Like I don't in the Real Housewives, like I don't want to see reality. (laughs) I don't want to think about reality. Like that's my go to. And I knew God, there's so much beauty in learning lessons the hard way and like what not to do, Mm. because when I lived in my bed and All I thought about was my pain. And what's so incredible is like my pain has gotten worse like every year. But like right now sitting here, I'm not thinking about my pain, you know, like it's not ever not there. But when I am focusing on like connection and being with other people and doing things that make my pain feel purposeful and like helping other people, I'm not thinking about it. And so I knew that if I went back to my old ways when he left that I would. I would die. Like, I would make that happen because that was so miserable and so dark and so depraved. And I couldn't go back there. And and so there was this, like, very conscious decision of I made myself start going through the, all the lists again and every day. And, I mean, of course I, like, mourned. And I, you know, have this beautiful community of people that stuck with me through all of that shit and loved me anyway and served me when I gave nothing back for so many years and I was like there's something so beautiful about also not having the luxury of fear because basically I couldn't worry about how my body would handle things or that I had no experience working I'd like people told me I was good at decorating and I was like I don't know what the fuck I'm doing (laughs) I can't do that like they'd just seen my homes you know and then all of a sudden I couldn't worry that I didn't know or how my body like I had no money I didn't know how I was going to pay my bills you know and thankfully I was in Nashville in this community that like believed in me way before I ever did and I had to start saying yes to things like they just more out of pity and because they believed in me started bringing me in on things and I started an Instagram account I just was like posting things like I almost felt like my job was to like search out beauty in every way shape or form like in people and things and places and I probably seemed manic because I would like post about the beautiful things and and it was real but I wasn't giving a full context like I wasn't talking about my pain I wasn't talking about my divorce I wasn't talking about how much I miss my dad and about six months into that like I started having people that didn't know me following along Mm. and I started having people making those comments that we all do like on Instagram and social media and be like oh you have the dream life like your life looks so fun and amazing and perfect and I want that and that made me want to throw (laughs) up and crawl in the fetal position because I would just picture myself in my bed looking on Facebook and being like I wish I was out playing with my children and not laying here hurting all the time, you know? The and comparison so, yes. mindset. And the idea that I could conjure up those feelings in someone else without them giving them the full context and the full scope made me sick. And so I ended up writing it all out, like everything, like literally about having C. diff and shitting my pants and 
20 times a day and going through a divorce and how I have pain every second and what a nightmare I'd been for so long. And I remember feeling like so naked when I hit publish because I was like, these people are going to be scared out of their minds. Where did you post it? I had my brother had paid for me to get a website built so I could do like design work. Uh-huh. And how long ago was this? This was four years ago. Wow. Okay. Yeah. And so I ended up, it was the craziest thing that I've ever experienced. It, it was for the first time I knew why I was here because I started getting these emails and letters constantly from people who are suffering and they would share their stories with me. And I wanted to also share this message of like, whatever fucked up broken thing you're living through right now, like that does not have to be the end of your story. Mm. Like this pain can make you, if you choose so much better, so much softer, so much more empathetic. Like all of a sudden I felt like I was given eyes to actually see people in the world for the first time, which also meant seeing all the pain and the suffering and the loss, but also the beauty and just how amazing it is. And I realized that like, I get to have this full, beautiful life, like all literally majority of the blessings and the goodness in my life today, all are overflow from my pain. Mm. Truly. Like, I wouldn't know majority of the humans that I do life with. Like now I speak for a living. I get to go and look women in the eye and be like, this is not the end of your story. And there is so much hope. There is so much hope for you. And you can live such a full and beautiful life, not only despite your pain, but because of it. Like, and I believe that with every ounce of my being, like I like, I wish I could, like, every time I'm, like, speaking, I'm, like, I want to go around and look every woman in the eyes and just, like, I will have hope for you if you don't have it right now. I have enough for both of us. Like, uh. your life, this is not the end. And life is so hard and it's so painful. And I wish that I don't hurt so bad every second. Like, it's been so bad lately. Like, it makes me vomit constantly, you know, from pain. And, like, I wouldn't wish this on a soul. And I wish my dad was here so much and no one's like, I want to grow up and be divorced one day, <laughs> you know, like that's no one's dream. Um, but I actually regret not getting married and divorced. <laughs> <laughs> so there's that for you. Take you. that with you. <laughs> but like, I know that like, I just said like 40 times. My life but you is said so, so many incredible <laughs> yeah. things. So I'm it's like totally sweating, but it also it's well, like, you're having an emotional experience. Yeah, like I know my life is so full and beautiful and rich because of this pain. It's made me so much better. It's like, and I think too the other thing I always love to share with people is like whenever you have this sort of suffering, when you figure out ways to make your pain purposeful. And that can look different in so many different ways. Like you find parents who've lost their children, you know, who start foundations in the honor of their child and they, you know, are are advocates now. And just that for me, sharing hope and sharing this message is in some ways really selfish because it helps me so much. It like it, it's the thing that makes my pain feel purposeful. Like it's not there's not a big angry God up there is being mean to me. Like all of these things, you know, are used in a way like 
on the way over in the Uber, I'm like responding to emails and I'm just like, man, if this pain like makes this girl or whoever like feel like they can get up, like what an honor, <laughs> like what a privilege. Um, and I wouldn't change it. I'm so in awe I know, of you. And I, I just feel like you're so spectacular. <laughs> I feel like, you know, I also feel like there's a space for you to like let yourself feel pain and yes. let it just be there and like yes. not have to always transmute it into yes. a purpose because like you need to give yourself the yes. space to recharge oh my god and also yes. to like honor that it is painful and that that's okay too yes and that it fucking sucks a, yeah. a whole bunch of dicks you don't want to be sucking <laughs> topical <laughs> <laughs> no you are and that is so it is my community is my lifeline mm -hmm. like i when i go home from these adventures and these trips like it kicks my ass on a level i can't even describe yeah. and my best friends at home, like I don't make any plans for two days and they bring me meals. They come and sit in my bed with me and just love on me. And I can be my most broken. I can be my most in the darkest. Like, I mean, a week ago I was just weeping to my two best friends. I'm like, it was like the anniversary of my wreck. It was my dad's birthday. I was hurting so bad. I could barely breathe. And I was like, I just want to break. I am exhausted. I am so, I felt so beat down mm -hmm. and depleted and just exhausted. You know, it's like there's times where I'm like, for just a minute to not feel this pain. Like I, it, and I don't ever, and that's why, like I share my story. Like, you know, the photos that I, I love aesthetically pleasing things and I want to add beauty to this world. Mm -hmm. I love adding goodness and beauty, but I also it's always a both and. And that's what I try to do with my social media is like, yes, we're experiencing this like incredible thing. But the behind the scenes is like I have to go home and vomit. And it's always a both and. Like I don't ever look at anyone's life and think they have it all. Mm. I, I, I am not. I know too much to be delusional enough to be jealous of someone's life. Mm. I know too much. I never. When I see truly joyful people, I think. They have been through so much, and mm -hmm. they've done so much work. Mm -hmm. That's what I think. I don't ever think, oh, my God, their life is perfect, ever. And I think that's why, like, Jen and I talk about this a lot. Like, it makes it so easy to have friends of all different, you know, I have friends that no one's ever heard their name in their lives, and then I have friends who, you know, the world looks to and considers famous, and I'm like, I don't see them any because I never would look at someone's life in that arena right. and think they have it all or that they aren't suffering in some I've way. honestly experienced you know being friends with a lot of people of yeah. certain notoriety yeah. and like pulling back the curtain and really knowing like their pain and suffering has taught me that exact same lesson yes. too of like being a young person and wanting to like get to a place and get success and like there's certain like things where you're like oh this will mean that and yeah. when I have that I'll feel this way and like actually having pulled back the curtain yes. and like knowing people on an intimate level it's like there's actually so much more darkness that I feel that people in that position need feel like they need to hide and not process because yeah. of the standard that yes. they feel like people put them to. What and, like, I think shame. we all just need to, like, kind of come down off that yes. and, like, n not be looking at those people to be more perfect or more right. strong or more, 
inspiring or whatever right. than in just your everyday life. Yes. It's like that. I want to do like a whole show just about yeah. like secret female pain that no one's fucking <laughs> talking about. It's, it's huge. Yeah. It's, that's like even just like something as stupid as like a body issue or like yes. stuff with food or you yes. know with their families it's just yes. like oh my god like yes. there's so much unprocessed stuff and then yeah. the world and the internet is looking at you like you're yeah. a goddess and you feel like you have to maintain that but mm. really you just want to like smoke cigarettes and cry in a k-hole right not yes. to name names <laughs> <laughs> and like what a disservice that we're putting that on people i know it's fucked you know, up it's like so i just i cherish my friendship so much because we literally we I feel like I have the best community on planet earth and I know that I'm the luckiest human that ever was because we all walk so closely together and are so real about the shitty broken Mm -hmm. painful like no one's putting up facades of pretending everything's awesome you know it's like we it's an optimistic group like it's not this group of just negative Nancy's that exhausts me if it just you right. live there that I I can't that makes me tired which is so you know the story you described you could so easily you almost chose like the road less taken by choosing optimism and yeah. choosing as I loved how you said it choosing awe mm-hmm. because it's probably really a lot more cozy to live in the negative get cozy get cozy yeah. don't get cozy with the negative though yeah. and yeah. um I just, I'm curious, like, you you talked about the steps you took, the list writing. Yeah. What was, like, what do you say to people when they write you and they're like, I'm in the hole. I'm yeah. like, I'm cozy in the negative. Like, yeah. how do I pivot past yeah. that? I'm parked down I'm that lane. I'm parked on that lane. Yes. And I know it. I know it so well. And I think there's like, one, when we so often especially as women men too everyone like the dark things that we feel the broken parts we keep to ourselves and we isolate and there's so much shame around it and I think it's so important to foster a community of people that you can speak out loud those broken places Mm because when we speak out loud those things that we feel shame about it takes the power away so that in of itself is huge to get a fucking counselor ASAP. That mm. is like, go to counseling. Everyone, <laughs> go to counseling. It's so important. And I think for me, one of the biggest lessons I learned is for so long, I wanted everything outside of me to fix me. Mm-hmm. I went to a bazillion doctors, fix me, make me better, give me the drugs, make it better. I wanted my family to make it better. I wanted, I put that pressure on my spouse, like, make it better. I can't handle this. I can't deal with this. Like, I put pressure on friends. I just, I wanted anything outside of me to fix me. And when I realized, honestly, one of the best books that helped me the most is, um, Tiny Beautiful Things. I love that book. Who writes that? Cheryl Strayed. I have probably given 50 copies of that book out. That's how I got the book. My friend got it, and then he bought like 50 of them and gave them to all his friends. It is the most important truth. And Mm -hmm. basically what, and I think my soul knew this, and I was already taking a lot of steps that way, but 
you are the only person that can save you. Mm-hmm. Period. I cannot save this. Per- I can. There's something about the the minuscule interaction with someone else that knows. Like it's so good for me to sit with people that know physical pain, especially young people, because there's not many of us. And even just you, for you to say, I know, I yes, understand. I see you. Yeah. Like women of abuse. Like for them to have that space where someone knows. Yeah. Is huge having a space with a counselor where you can just speak all the things is huge but what I know that I know that I know is like I am the only person that can fix me I am the only person I had to so much of it is changing the narrative because for so long pain defined me and I was a victim Mm. I saw myself as a victim I felt I felt so sorry for me and other people around me felt sorry for me and it was disgusting and there's nothing life-giving about that and I think (sighs) the part where I have like now when I look back and counseling helps with this but it's also just a real internal thing you have to do the work and it's hard work but it's the most fruitful like I can look back now and see all these fucked up, broken, painful things. And I would not, I will be the last person. I will never be like, all things work for good. Or Jesus had a plan. Like, I will never say those Band-Aid things to anyone. Even if they believe they're true, that's great. But in the same breath, I can look back and see how every single horrible, broken, painful, suffering, loss, whatever, has made me me. Mm. And it's given me this capacity to like feel awe and feel beauty and experience. Like I know that I experience things on a daily basis. Like there's this part of me that because my pain has been gradually worse every year for the last 13 years, like it's likely I won't be able to do a lot of the things in five, 10 years that I'm able to do now. And so it makes me want to like suck the marrow out of it, you know, cause I'm like, this is a gift and I don't want to take one minute for granted. I don't want to take a second for granted with this friend that I get to sit across from. I don't want to, it's made me appreciate things on such a richer, deeper, fuller Mm. level because I let myself feel the depth of how painful all the things are too. And when I numbed it, I numbed all the good and I was a zombie, you know? You just said two things that I feel like are so important that I want to highlight. And the first one is like the thing about, the affirmative truth that is when you feel like you're victimizing yourself and you're feeding into that narrative, how like the world shows reveals to you that it will shut down on you. And I think that's like such a powerful thing to like remember and keep in mind. It's like, if you keep doing that, that's what's going to be shown to you. And like, it's your responsibility to not do that if you don't want to live that kind of life, because there's no place to grow from that kind of perspective. And then the last thing, which was just about, um, like we're not usually aware of the ending of life. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like we are, we know that we're going to die. Right. We all know that. Right. But we don't live our lives with appreciation for that fact. We live yeah. our lives with so much distraction and so yeah. much um, denial of that. And yeah. like, I almost feel like it's because it's such an intense truth that we need to fill our life with distraction mm-hmm. and like all this other shit so that because if we were truly to understand and embrace that, it would, like, blow our minds and explode our hearts. And we would, like, have to be in awe of the beauty of things because it is yeah. so fleeting. And so yeah. you're totally right. It is 
such a gift and like what a message to spread to people just like remember that like nothing is fucking guaranteed to you like ever and the splendor of the sunset in Big Sur is like worth taking a deep breath yes it's so amazing it is I have a question too like so when you are feeling you know like okay my pain's really bad I want to go throw up or whatever like aside from obviously your like incredible mental strength um, what are things that you do to like self care and yeah. kind of wind down or yeah. you know Epsom salts or whatever? Yeah, no, <laughs> that's a great question. Like it's interesting because I have tried a ton of things and I now know like I eat a diet that is not supposed to be inflammatory. I don't feel much better, but I know it's good mm-hmm. and it's good for my mind. You know, I do mindfulness. I do Headspace. Like it's ten minutes and. It, do you eat me, CBD? I do. Does yeah. it help? You know, it touches it, which mm. is something. Yeah. You know, like it's it's still very much all there, but yeah. it can make it where it's just like this. I mean, this is how I describe it to my friends. It can take it from a like, fuck you, to like, fuck you. <laughs> you know? I'll and take like, it. I will take that. Yeah, that's like, that is a, that's a, From a yell to a I'm, gentle scream. Yeah. yeah. An agitated scream. You know? Yes. Yeah. Like, like a homeless man masturbating and <laughs> yelling at you to like your lover kind of gently choking you. <laughs> Which we accept and allow in 2017 even with the roles of genders being challenged. <laughs> oh my God. Yes, I love y'all. Um, so I do that. I also so like I I have a heating pad. I right. have a girl that I get massages from. I um I mean, I would say my greatest my like self-care totem. The biggest thing in my life that helps me the most is my community. Mm. They just love me so well. That's so beautiful. It is a gift like I can't even describe and I can be literally my most broken part of me self and they just so fully love me <laughs> fully every part of me not just the pretty good parts you know like all the broken parts and I don't hesitate with that and that feels that is like one of my greatest gifts in this life that I just I will never take for granted it's so beautiful like on that on the show we really talk a lot about like self-care and yes. how to kind of take care of yourself to, sh- to show up for others and yeah. I feel like it's definitely worth noting that part of yeah. self-care is community care and like yeah. it's not always just about yeah you right and right. you know we talked about that in the article mm-hmm. that for well and good where it's like when does self-care edge on selfishness and I think yeah. Really, the truth of when it becomes selfish is when you're not acknowledging the importance of community. Right. And I yeah. feel like, I mean, <clears throat> I don't think I we take it for granted, but, like, it is. Sometimes I look around at, like, our group of friends and I'm just like, all these people are my family. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. My text thread with my two best friends in Nashville is called Chosen Fam. Yeah. <laughs> that is what they're called. You yeah. Know, that is them. And I, I think also what I have learned in the last year in terms of self-care is... I kind of, I'm total extrovert, seven on the Enneagram, obviously. I would have never thought that. (laughs) And I make friends really easily, and I'm super social, and I connect really easily. Like, it's like tying my shoes, Mm -hmm. right? Well, everyone doesn't, and so sometimes people will think we might be better friends than I might Mm -hmm. think, (laughs) and I... I want them to feel loved and special and cherished, but then like I hurt people's feelings mm-hmm. because they're like, wait, why didn't you invite me to this thing? I'm like, 
because we're <laughs> what do you mean <laughs> like yeah and so this last year I really had to become more intentional where like I've just closed it down a lot more like my my friend circle has gotten smaller and tighter and more intentional because I was spreading myself out because I didn't want to hurt anyone's feelings and I was spreading myself out so thin feels good trying. to be liked it, it does I love being liked <clears throat> everyone I'm, does yes, I'm a pleaser and I have that in me and and so this year has been like really interesting because it still makes me sweat a little like literally my left armpit sweat right now thinking about it <laughs> and the people whose feelings like I have like hurt you know which I hate and I've but I just kind of had to moonwalk out of some relationships where it didn't feel mutual at all it felt exhausting and I was like giving a lot and not and they and they don't know and they're not thinking of it like that but it was just depleting me and so I think you know I want to love people that aren't easy to love too but those can't be my core humans right and so my core group has just it's shrunk and it's gotten tighter and the fruit that has come out of that, of that intentionality. And I'm like more intentional to love them well and spend quality time with and not, I show up better because I'm not spreading myself to a ton of people and just completely depleted by the time I get to them. You know, it's important. It's so important. It's so important. And that has been like one of the best decisions that I did this year. Well, Ruthie, I wish we could talk to you yeah. for a million hours, but we are being kicked out of the studio <laughs> space. Um, but I think this is just such an awesome conversation, yeah, especially for any as time we're of work, but into Thanksgiving. Be, yeah, like sitting around the table with mm. our family or our chosen yes. family, and just really and don't focusing. forget in the soldier you have chosen your family. Yes. So like focusing yes. on what's important, and I love how you said that even when you were numb to what was going on you still needed to acknowledge within yourself that you love sunsets and yeah Yeah. because I've been with you and you've had everybody stop to appreciate the sunset (laughs) Mm -hmm. so I've in a way you've like shifted into you've created just all the beauty that's around you Mm -hmm. and it's really inspiring if not a lesson then a reminder Mm -hmm. of appreciating what we have appreciating our health and like loving our community and and loving our pain and loving our pain and just thank you for sharing your story we appreciate you being so open and can we stay with you in nashville yes Yes. (laughs) the guest room hosting's my favorite i owe not being one of those people who thinks we're too close (laughs) (laughs) oh no love it so much tell our listeners where they can find you and if you have anything fun coming up yes well um the only thing i keep really up to date is instagram yeah i'm like technologically special it's so (laughs) sad but um it's just at ruthie Lindsay l-i-n-d-s-e-y and then i have a um a business like facebook page where i'll i'll post like when I'm speaking at things and then I'm working on a book yeah so that should um this it's gonna be within this year so that will be coming and it's gonna be so aesthetic it's (laughs) gonna be so aesthetic (laughs) you're so awesome thank you so much thank you and uh to all our listeners namaste listening bye bye (laughs) yes that's a retrograde